Hello, Rebecca Langley here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Over the past couple of weeks, submissions have been heard by the Senate Inquiry into the Ensuring Integrity Bill. Workers and their unions have been sharing their stories and explaining why this bill should not be passed through the Upper House. We'll hear an update from ACTU President Michelle O'Neill about the hearings in Sydney last week. Then we'll reflect on some history with a poem called The Dole from the days of the Great Depression. But first, some union news. On September 26th, the Sydney Morning Herald reported that hardware giant Bunnings has blamed a coding error in its payroll system for underpaying superannuation to a number of its staff for the past nine years. The error affects part-time workers in its Australian stores who worked more than their annual contracted hours in the 2011 financial year onwards which in most cases only affected superannuation payments from May or June in the relevant year. It is understood that excluding compensation, most affected workers are owed less than $200 in unpaid super. Bunnings would not reveal the full amount it had underpaid its workers, saying it was undertaking a reconciliation and would make a back payment plus compensation to affected employees in four to six weeks. Bunnings is the latest in a long line of prominent retailers found to have underpaid their staff in recent times, with automotive and outdoor retailer Super Retail Group admitting earlier this year it underpaid its managers $32 million in unpaid overtime. Jewellery chain Michael Hill, apparel retailer Sunglass Hut and celebrity chef George Columbaris are others that recently were found to have underpaid staff millions. However, the company may dodge some of the penalties for underpaying super as the government is attempting to pass legislation enacting a superannuation amnesty. If passed, Bunnings will not be required to pay the superannuation guarantee charge on the unpaid super, which consists of interest and an administration fee. In the last financial year, the tax office recovered $805 million of payments through its superannuation analysis. Bunnings is the biggest earn-off for parent company West Farmers, a Perth-based conglomerate making up 57% of its profits. In the 2019 financial year, Bunnings reported earnings of $1.62 billion and revenue of $13.1 billion. In a statement, a spokesperson for the Fair Work Ombudsman said it was aware Bunnings had self-reported superannuation underpayments to some of its workforce. Bunnings is just one of thousands of corporations that the Morrison government is offering an amnesty to go Scott Morrison free from billions of dollars in wage theft. While Attorney General Christian Porter was happy to talk big on penalties last week, the truth is the Morrison government is going soft on wage theft. United Voice National Secretary Joe Schofield said, The amnesty on wage theft legislation that allows corporations to report unpaid super without any fear of penalty is being pushed through Parliament right now. This month, these are just a fraction of the wage theft cases that United Voice has been dealing with. In Victoria, courts have ordered owners of upmarkets and killed a restaurant Tolano to pay three former staff more than $25,000 in outstanding wages and unpaid super, and they are still waiting to be paid. 
In Tasmania, employees have been left without 14 months of superannuation payments after the collapse of Glenorchy RSL. In Canberra, former workers of southern Indian restaurant Binis Katito are fighting for unpaid superannuation amid a wide range of alleged wage theft breaches, including making staff buy their holidays. ECEC Management Services, which runs four childcare services across Australia, including Gumnut Childcare in Lithgow, has not paid their workers superannuation since September 2018. In each of these cases, Scott Morrison is trying to open the door for an amnesty on wage theft penalties for not paying workers the superannuation they are owed. This is outrageous neglect of workers who rely on being paid their full super entitlements to plan for a comfortable retirement. What's the point of talking tough on laws and penalties if Scott Morrison is simply going to let bosses go scot-free? This government has launched legal challenges to workers' sick leave and holiday entitlements. It wants penalties for workers who take unfair dismissal cases and it now wants to clear the way for a free ride for super wage thieves. Governments need to act in response to exploitation of workers, not wave it through. There is no excuse for wage theft. Bosses need to know there are serious consequences if they steal workers' wages. The Financial Services Union, or FSU, this week released a statement regarding work health and safety concerns of their members employed at the National Australia Bank. For months, FSU members have raised concerns about the impact job cuts introduced by Anthony Healy were having on workloads and their mental health. In several branches and connect centres, it has got so bad employees contacted the union and sought the assistance of health and safety representatives. This week, media outlets are reporting National Australia Bank will be hiring 163 new bankers. Although this is likely to alleviate some of the work health and safety concerns raised by FSU members, there are still serious issues around wage theft. The move also raises serious questions about whether banker retrenchments over the last six months are genuine redundancies or a crisis of leadership and culture. FSU is considering referring this matter to the Australian Tax Office. If you have any further information, please email nabmembers at fsunion.org.au. That's nabmembers at fsunion.org.au. With negotiations for a new agreement commencing on the 1st of October, FSU members will continue to prosecute the case for fair pay and workloads across National Australia Bank. A while ago, I interviewed Chris Spindler from the AMWU about the situation of workers at the Alstom Rail Workshop in Ballarat, so I thought I'd give you an update from one of the local newspapers in Ballarat earlier this month. The Courier reported that Premier Daniel Andrews would not be drawn on resolving the crisis at Alstom's factory, leaving more than 60 workers high and dry. The lack of communication has workers furious. Ballarat Regional Trades and Labour Council Secretary Brett Edgington said a meeting should be urgently arranged and the uncertainty created for workers and their families is unacceptable. The workshop committee made up of members from the Rail, Bus and Tram Union, Electrical Trade Union and Australian Manufacturing Workers Union has met with local representatives but is still waiting to hear back from any ministers. AMWU Delegate Ashley Mavitt said it was disappointing. I've had meetings with the Transport Minister and she gave me the guarantee she'd come up here and meet with us and we're still waiting for her, he said. 
The mood at the moment's a bit sombre. Obviously, people are a little nervous about what's going on in the next eight months. To take a big employer out of town like this is a big hit. A lot of local workers, if they want to stay in the industry, will have to go to Melbourne or other areas, other states. This week, the International Trade Union Confederation called on governments to sign and ratify the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons on the eve of a special signing ceremony for the treaty at the UN in New York. The treaty was adopted by the UN in July 2017 with a vote of 122 to 1 and requires ratification by 50 countries for it to come into force. So far, 70 countries have signed it and 26 have completed ratification. The horror of nuclear conflict is a real threat as long as nuclear weapons exist and global tensions involving states that have nuclear weapons are rising. The world must learn the lessons of the catastrophic effects of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs and consign nuclear weapons to the dustbin of history. The Prohibition Treaty finally makes nuclear weapons illegal on humanitarian grounds as is already the case for chemical and biological weapons and certain other munitions. We call on all countries to ratify this treaty, said ITUC General Secretary Sharon Burrow. Currently, the world spends over 100 billion US dollars per year on nuclear weapons, and there are signs that at least some of the nuclear weapons states are modifying their arsenals. The weakening of multilateralism is having profound and negative impacts on the fight against global warming, on the world economy and in other areas where only joint solutions can work. It is also weakening arms control and disarmament measures with potentially devastating results. The collapse of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty portends a new nuclear arms race, while the 23-year-old Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty has still not come into force. More than 2,000 nuclear weapons tests have taken place since 1945, with devastating human and environmental impacts. While these agreements and the 191-country non-proliferation treaty are crucially important, it is time for the world to stop producing nuclear weapons altogether and decommission those that exist. The alternative to total multilateral and verified nuclear disarmament may be too terrible to contemplate. It would be a morally repugnant legacy to leave for future generations to clean up, said Burrow. Hundreds of workers at the Haft Tape Sugarcane Agro-Industrial Complex in the city of Shush, southwestern Iran, attended a fifth consecutive day of demonstrations on September 27th to protest the expulsion of 20 of their colleagues and imprisonment of seven others under lengthy sentences. Trade Union Representative Esmail Bakshi was sentenced in September by a preliminary court to 14 years in prison and 74 lashes under national security charges for leading workers' rallies for unpaid wages and stating publicly that he had been tortured in the custody of the Intelligence Ministry. Iran is a signatory to the International Convention on Civil and Political Rights, which mandates in Articles 21 and 22 freedom of association and guarantees the right to form trade unions and to the International Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights, which guarantees in Article 8 the right of workers to form or join trade unions and protects their right to strike. Yet peaceful labour activism is treated as a national security offence, Independent labour unions are not allowed to function. Strikers are often fired and risk arrest, and labour leaders are prosecuted under catch-all national security charges and sentenced to long prison terms. 
Six other labour activists and reporters were also imprisoned after being tried with Bakshi at Branch 28 of the Revolutionary Court in Tehran, presided by notorious hardline judge Mohammed Mogiseh. The workers are also currently demanding the reinstatement of several colleagues who were expelled or denied contract renewals for allegedly joining the protests. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. There's a lot of talk right now about the Ensuring Integrity Bill and what it would mean for unions and workers if it passes through the upper house with the vote expected to take place in November. Many unions and peak bodies have made submissions to the Senate inquiry, giving powerful evidence as to why this legislation should not be passed. It is also important to note that the bill was voted down by the Senate in 2017, but has re-emerged under the Morrison government. Let's hear from ACTU President Michelle O'Neill about the Senate inquiry hearings last week in Sydney. Apologies for the high level of background noise on this recording. Hi everybody, I'm in Sydney and I'm here at the inquiry into the Ensuring Integrity Bill and the Worker Benefits Bill and we've been hearing some extraordinary evidence today from some of our unions. We've heard from the ANWU, from the Finance Sector Union, from the TWU and from the SBSF part of the CPSU and they've given evidence about how bad ensuring integrity is for ordinary workers but particularly one of the things they've been talking about that's been so powerful has been about the sort of things that push um, unions to take unprotected industrial action that's in the interest of the public, not just members, but the safety of the public as well. We heard from Paul Bastian from the ANWU about the extraordinary campaign that the union movement was part of and that the ANWU was central in, in fighting for the rights of workers that had been um, affected by asbestosis and by mesothelioma because of the actions of James Hardy, literally a company that had seen workers and their families die on their watch and then not only weren't prepared to compensate them, weren't prepared to pay what should have been paid for people whose lives had been completely destroyed, uh, they were actually trying to take the company's assets out of the country and run so that they couldn't be sued, so that those workers and their families that um, couldn't get their justice for what had happened to them. And the AMW talked about the action that their members took to take unprotected industrial action, to take what in other parts of the world would be seen as just normal strike action um, in a campaign to win fairness, in a campaign to win compensation, in a campaign to hold a company to account for actions they had taken that had actually killed workers on their watch. Uh, And it was such a clear example of the type of things that happen, what happens under Australian law, and how if this bill goes through, if if ensuring integrity becomes law, then the AMWU and all the other unions and union members around the country that stood up and fought for the rights of James Hardy victims uh, could see their union shut down closed, 
deregistered as a whole union because they were taking up the fight for justice and for public safety. So that was just one example. The other one that we heard was from the TWU, and the TWU had a rank and file member who works in the um, armour security industry, who go around in the vans collecting cash from places like um, clubs and banks, etc. And he told, Charlie told an amazing story about uh, their members who had been injured, held up, and some murdered on the job. You can just uh, think about what that would mean, that your job involved that sort of risk. And the number of times that they had to take action to stop work, to make sure that both their members were safer, but also the public. This is something that's happening on our streets, outside clubs, in normal you know, day-to-day life. You come across people collecting cash and premises all the time. So they took action, and they took action to protect, as I said, the general public, but also their members. Members. Again, under this bill, if it becomes law, then that union could be deregistered, shut down, closed for taking action that I think any ordinary person would say is in all of our interests. So these are some of the things we're hearing about. The ACTU also gave evidence today and we talked about how this bill is a bill that's going to hurt every worker and every union. Don't listen to the government's rhetoric about it. Don't listen to their story that this is somehow, you know, a targeted bill for extreme behaviour. It's not. It's about what we do every day. The work that we do in bargaining and trying to make sure that workers get their legal entitlements and the work that we do in trying to make sure that we've got representation and a union movement that can fight for workers wherever they are, whatever sector, whatever industry they're in. And they have nothing to say, the government, about this when we point out, like we did today, that we've got a wages crisis in Australia with wages stagnant for seven years. This bill will make that worse. We've got endemic wage theft where companies, corporations get away with stealing millions and millions of dollars of workers' money. And what will this bill do? Not go after them, but make it worse, make it harder for us to protect workers and get their money that's owed to them. And of course, we've got a problem with uh, massive unsafe work practices across many sectors in the whole economy. Today I gave evidence about 111 workers who've already lost their life in Australia just in 2019. But this bill, no, it doesn't want to take action against the companies that have led to the death of those workers, led to their families not having their loved ones come home at the end of the day. No, what does the government do? They want to come after unions. They want to come after those people that stand up for safety, that may take action to make sure that workers can get home at the end of the day to the people that they love. They want to close down unions because we are the body in society that stands up to the power that stands up to the employers that are putting workers' lives at risk, stealing their money and actually doing things that exploit workers on a daily basis. So it is, um, it is great to be hearing from the other unions. We've got the rest of the hearing today where we're going to be talking about worker benefits and again this is a bill the government wants to use to shut down funds that protect worker entitlements. And then tomorrow we're in Hobart 
for another hearing where we'll hear from unions in Tassie about what this bill means for them. So be part of this campaign, make sure you let those crossbenchers know what you think about this. We want you to be talking to the Jackie Lambie, to Centre Alliance and to Pauline Hanson's One Nation and make sure that those crossbenchers know how important it is to say no to this bill, to block it, to make sure that we don't end up in a country where workers' rights are at the bottom of the pile, to make sure that we do have a right to organise and have democratic unions where we choose how we're going to represent workers and able to do it in a way where we win fairness and justice every single day. So be part of the fight, get onto those senators, make sure that you explain to them why this is bad law and ask them to oppose this bill. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. We just heard from ACTU President Michelle O'Neill about some important submissions to the Senate inquiry into the Ensuring Integrity Bill. Next, I wanted to share a track from a record I found of songs and poetry from the Great Depression in Australia. The track is called The Doll and was written by Simon MacDonald. It was in the 1930s, the truth I'm telling you. Depression came and work was scarce and nobody knew what to do. The government gave us a handout that kept body and soul. Some people called it the susso. The out of work called it the doll. There were lots of men came from the city to live in the bush in a tent with dishes and shovels to dig for gold, and nobody paid any rent. Six shillings a week we had to live on, and some made a few bob at the gold, but the dole was taken back from you if over six bob's worth was sold. On Friday at the old town hall, half-starved men gathered round. Some could hardly stand on their feet, and others just sat on the ground. Bill Macy paid out the dole to each man, and each came out with a smile. They knew they could eat for a few more days to keep out the wolf for a while. The council then put us to work for the dole and said we could get double pay. And if you refused to do the work, you were struck off the list next payday. We pushed wheelbarrows and shoveled sand, had to work in the cold and the rain. Our boots had no soles, our socks were all holes. It was useless to complain. I walked around Newland to look for a job. At spud digging, I wasn't too bad, but every place I went to it was no. A job was just not to be had. I said to one cocky, I must have some grass. I haven't got bread, jam or meat. He said, go round to the front of the house. The grass on the lawn is quite sweet. Then the war broke out, and like magic, the dole quickly went out the door. Work could be got anywhere at once. And we didn't need the doll anymore. We just heard a poetry reading of The Doll, written by Simon MacDonald. Now, we're not living through a Great Depression, but it is interesting to reflect on the policies and language that was used back then and how little has changed to this day. Here's a quote from uh, Mr Mays back in the time of the Great Depression. I was on what we termed the doll. Received a coupon after producing and answering and qualifying to the police a questionnaire that allowed me nine shillings a week for myself and my wife. 
If this questionnaire was not answered to the satisfaction of the police force, you were denied that sustenance. However, later on, there was a scheme introduced by the Tubby Stevens government of a pittance of a couple of days' work each fortnight, which actually relieved them of the responsibility of giving you the nine shillings a week for nothing. When I read that quote, it made me ask the question, how similar does this sound to the current situation of people receiving Newstart today? The compliance. Although now everything is digitised, if you fail to tick all the boxes, you'll be penalised. The information capture. Although now it's in the form of data, which is then stored and used to discriminate against people's claims. And then there's the doll, where unemployed workers continue to do unpaid work with little to no labour rights, so that they can receive a pittance that does not cover the cost of living. In 1931, the unemployed workers' movement made its mark fighting major battles against forced evictions. It was a militant organisation set up to defend the unemployed and their families against the worst indignities of poverty and life on the dole. Today, similar work is being done by the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union, who continue to support workers living on the dole and the new start allowance, as well as those receiving robo-debt notices. As we heard from Michelle O'Neill, the labour movement has done so much for working people in Australia, and it continues to do so. But as we look back and reflect on the system that we live in, let's not forget the unemployed and underemployed workers who also need our support. The impact of climate change that we heard about last week from the school strikers will lead to further unemployment as we transition away from fossil fuels. So now, more than ever, we need to stick together. Unions should not just be about so-called bread-and-butter unionism. Uh, Unions have got to be concerned with the world. Looking back, it's vital for our movement to always remember where we have come from, who has come before us, and what they have achieved for working people. Here are some moments to remember. In Adelaide, on the 27th of September 1928, armed police were brought into Port Adelaide to quell riots during a national wharf strike. On the 28th of September... 1930 in Perth, 22 unemployed activists began a hunger march to Canberra to bring their plight directly to the nation's politicians and agitate along the way. On the 29th of September 1995 in Canberra, nurses held stop work protests over health cuts. On the 30th of September 1975 in Port Hedland, two weeks of picketing by sacked salt workers bolstered by wharfies bands saw all the workers reinstated. Let's continue to remember and continue to fight. That's it for Stick Together this week. I thought I'd end the show with a quote from ACTU Secretary Sally McManus. You can sack us. You can outlaw us. But you will never defeat us. For you can never crush or destroy a belief. The right of all of us to be treated equally and fairly. And you can never take away our power the power of unions, the simple act of working people deciding to stick together. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 0394198377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Rebecca Langley. Catch you next time.